So about a year ago, I was flying up to Portland uh, to preach at a church that I grew up in. And on the way, I had a two-hour layover in Chicago. And so I got off the plane in Chicago, and I did what anybody does when they you know, have a two-hour layover. They just kind of walk around in a dazed look, trying to figure out how they're going to fill that time. Right? So about 10 minutes into my wandering, I found myself at a bar because there was a TV and there was an NBA game on, and I figured this maybe could hold my attention for two hours. Sure, let's go there. And so this guy approaches me, and he you know, gives me this most standard airport question that you could think of. He says, you know, so where are you flying to? I tell him I'm going to Portland, Oregon, and he gets all excited. He's like, no way, I'm from Portland. He's like, that's where I'm going. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's where I'm from too. And so I guess we were talking really loud because there was a guy who was in front of us, and he turned around, and he's like, you guys are from Portland? He's like, I lived in Portland for 10 years. It's one of my favorite cities in the entire world. And I kid you not, in a matter of minutes, I was sitting in a bar in Chicago, the Chicago airport, with a guy who was my age from Portland, a guy who was in his 30s, who had lived in Portland, and a guy who was in his 50s who couldn't care less about Portland, he just saw us and wanted to hang out. (laughs) And then an older woman from Peru. And I'm not kidding about that either. It was one of the weirdest moments of my life, and yet it was one of the most amazing moments because these five strangers for two hours were pressing in to each other, fulfilling one of the most basic needs of humanity, and it's that, it's that need for relationship. It's that need for a community that, that transcends ourselves and gives us purpose. And so I was thinking about this story this week, and I was wondering how so often in my life I have longed for that to create around me. And yet, when I look at the pattern of my life, I see that I have so often bought into this Facebook and Twitter reality which has pushed personal relationships to the fringes to the point where this kind of a community is almost impossible to have. And I love this because over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus comes into the presence of people like us. And he says, the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to do something in you guys. He is going to create a community. And this community is going to be centered on the life of Jesus. And so Jesus is gonna use this community and he is gonna reach the ends of the earth and literally all people in all time are gonna have an intersection in their life where they meet the living presence of Jesus and it's gonna come because of you in this community. And so we're in Acts chapter four this morning and just to give you a little bit of some context for what's going on, you know, Jesus was crucified, right? And then, two, and then three days later, he was risen from the dead. And so in Acts chapter one, it's this amazing moment where Jesus has come with his closest friends one last time before he ascends up into heaven. And he's about to leave, and so he's telling them, listen, when I leave, that the Holy Spirit, he is gonna come down. And you are gonna reach this city. You're gonna reach Jerusalem. You're gonna reach this region. You're gonna reach in Judea and Samaria. And then you are gonna reach the ends of the earth. How is that gonna happen? Because the Holy Spirit in you is gonna create a community among you that is going to impact the world. And so the first four chapters leading up to our text this morning is the story of this beginning of this movement. And it's unfolding. And people like Peter 
and Andrew, two of Jesus' closest friends and some of the leaders of this movement, are preaching and thousands of people are coming into the community of God, into the family of God. And I love our text this morning because it's this wonderful image of what it looks like when the people of God become, become so in tune with one another that out of our collective potential rises this co- collective purpose. And this purpose is set by the Holy Spirit living in us. And our purpose is set around the person, the life, and the work of Jesus Christ in us. So let's go ahead and pick up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35, just a few short verses. And it reads, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money uh, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This is the word of God from Acts chapter 4. You know, when, if you're anything like me, you, you finish up reading a text like that, and there's a couple of responses that you give. The first response is you look at this and you say, wow, that's amazing. That sounds amazing. That community looks amazing. To which you followed up with the second response, which is to say, too bad it's impossible for me in my life right now to be living like this. You know, I think that we say that because a lot of us have bought into this belief that says the distance between my life and the reality of what Scripture says, the reality of what Jesus is calling us into is too great for it to have any effect on the way that I live my life right now. You know, so for much of my life, Jesus, he was king from a distance. You know, so I said I would follow Jesus, but it didn't really change anything about the way that I lived my life. I grew up in a church, and and the person that was preaching and the person that was teaching, he would often ask this question. He would look at everyone and he'd say, you know, so what if Jesus was to enter into our church right now? What if he was standing here in the flesh among us right now? Would it change anything about the way that we're living? And I didn't think anything about this growing up. But later I began to realize that much of my journey with Jesus has been lived in this what if reality. What if Jesus was real? What if he was telling the truth? What if... This community that we read about in Acts chapter 4 could actually be a part of my life. What if? And I would think, you know, if only Jesus could be standing right here in the flesh in front of me, I would have more of him, and then my life would change. But because he's not, because Jesus isn't here standing with us in the flesh, the distance between my life and what Jesus was telling me to do in my life felt too great to ever intersect. You know, I think that probably a lot of us in this room feel the same way. I think this is probably where a lot of us are. And so you read something like Acts chapter four and you read about this community that Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is gonna create this community among us and you go, this just doesn't sound possible. It doesn't sound like reality and yet Jesus is sitting there with his closest friends and he's saying the Holy Spirit will come. And when he does come, He will create in you an impossible 
community. And through this impossible community, all people throughout all time are going to have an intersection in their life where they meet the divine presence of Jesus. And I imagine that, the, that the, his friends, you know, his disciples were sitting there looking at him going, this feels impossible, Jesus. This, this vision for humanity that you're giving us, it feels impossible. You know, because they knew that he was leaving. And he was the one that, that started this whole movement. He was the one that called them into this journey with him three years before. And so they're looking at him going, how is this possible? You're about to leave. How are we going to accomplish these things? And Jesus just looks at him and gently he's saying, I know it feels impossible. I know it. But the Holy Spirit is coming and he is going to dwell inside of each of you. And he is going to begin to accomplish things that were previously impossible for you to achieve. So just trust in that. Trust in me. You know, a few years ago, I was uh, coaching a varsity soccer team in Oregon. And we were getting ready to play our first game. And this team, I mean, they were, they were one of the best teams in Oregon. They were, better th- they were bigger than us. They were stronger than us. They were faster than us. They were better looking than us, I'm sure. And I could see it on the faces of our guys that they had already accepted defeat before the game had even begun. And so I gathered them together like any good coach would do. And I looked at them and I said, I know what you're thinking and I know what you see. But if you press into one another, if you press into to who you are, then leave everything out in the field and you'll walk off the field victorious. And I kid you not, they looked at me like I was the stupidest person that they had ever seen in their life. Because the people that we were about to play looked way too good. It seemed impossible. And I was trying to help them see that the impossible becomes possible when we begin to press into one another. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that this impossible community, this impossible vision for humanity is going to become reality because the Holy Spirit is coming and he is bringing my power. And when the impossible things of man are met by the power of Jesus, they not only become possible, but they become the reality of the people of God. And so I want you just to see three impossible characteristics of this community from Acts chapter four. So let's gonna look look through it again. And the first impossible characteristic that we see from from this section is that they had impossible Unity. So look at verse 32. It says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. This is so hard for us to understand. How many of you look at the opposite gender and you go, there is no way that I will ever understand what that that gender is thinking, right? I've been married for eight years. And there are times and there are days when I look at my wife and I just know exactly what, I'm, what she's thinking, and those are the good days. <laughs> because there's, there's, there's the most of the other days when I look at her and I have absolutely no idea, I have no idea what she's thinking. And so just the other day we were in our car and my wife was telling me about something that we had to do that week and I knew exactly what she was gonna say before she even said it. And so I did what any dumb husband would do and I tried to interrupt her and tell her she didn't need to tell me that. I understand. So she kept trying to tell me, I understand, I get it. I kept cutting her off. And my wife got really frustrated and she's like, I know you know what I'm about to say, but just let me say it anyways. And it was this really tense moment because I thought that we were one in mind at least. 
And I realized that we weren't anywhere near one in heart, which obviously meant we weren't one in mind either. But we are a marriage that's in process. Because when people get married, it's like here's, here's the, the husband and here's the wife, and they start this far apart. But as they press into one another and they press into Jesus together, Jesus begins to pull them together. And then slowly he grafts them to become one in heart and mind. And we're not there yet. My wife and I are, are not there yet. But the Holy Spirit is grafting us to become one. And so Jesus is t- saying that when, when the Holy Spirit comes and the community of God beca- begins to press into one another, this impossible unity begins to unfold to where out of the collective potential of this community rises a collective purpose. And this collective purpose is centered around what? It's centered around Jesus. It's centered around the fact that we are in love with Jesus, that we want more of Jesus together. There is nothing more unifying than loving Jesus and wanting more of him. Everything else will fall apart, it will fail. But when the Holy Spirit begins to insert himself into the body, into this community, then we become unified around Jesus. So that's the first impossible characteristic. The second impossible characteristic is that this community had impossible generosity. And so look at the second half of verse 32. It says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Jump down to 34. There were no needy persons among them, For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. You know, I think this impossible generosity, this kind of level of being generous with one another is so hard for us to understand in our culture because our culture has has just fed us this reality that says what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. And if you have a need, then I may end up giving you some of what's mine, but I'm going to keep most of it for myself because it's mine. And yet when people are grafted into the family of God, the way that we view the needs of others just radically changes so that when we see the needs of others, they literally become my needs and I begin to leverage everything to fill them. So think about the life of Jesus for a moment. How many of you have ever been willing to leverage your life to fill somebody's need. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. Humanity was in this just deepest, darkest moment of need where we were laying on the cross that we had built for ourselves. And Jesus is looking down and he's saying, there's got to be something that I can do. And so he is willing to leverage his own life to peel us off of our own cross and lay down in our place and lift us to the place that he deserved. Jesus was willing to leverage his life to fill the needs of humanity. And I had to go, what would it look like if we as a community met the needs of our people and the people of this city and the people of the world with an impossible generosity so that when they were looking at us as we were giving, they would say, this doesn't make sense because humanity doesn't live in this way. Where people are meeting other people's needs by giving up their time and their talents and they're giving up their resources to fill those needs. And the Holy Spirit is the only way that we can achieve this level of impossible generosity. 
So a couple of years ago when we moved to Nashville, my wife and I moved to Nashville, at the time we were a one-car family. And about six months into our time here, the head gasket in my car blew. And so I kind of freaked out. I was thinking, I don't have the money to fix this. I don't have the money to buy a new car. And so I called up the house church leader of the house church that I was in at the moment. And I I was just telling him the situation. I was telling him what was going on. And he responded in a way that kind of caught me off guard because he said, yeah, okay, we can fix that. Don't worry about it. And I was like, what? Fix that? That's, That's awesome. And this guy, he has this amazing talent and ability to fix cars. That's his gift. And so for free of charge, he fixes my car for me. And I go, what possesses a person to use this this gift that they have to fill my needs at this moment? I think it's when the Holy Spirit begins to take hold of our hearts that we begin to see that the things that we have are not just for ourselves, but that they're for the people of God as well. And, you know, I don't think that we're there yet as a church. I don't think that we've, we have achieved this impossible generosity. But I think that the Holy Spirit is beginning to move us closer into that reality. If we had time, I could just tell you story after story of the people in this church who are serving. They are building ministries. They are using their businesses. They are, they are leveraging their talents to fill needs in this church and in this city And I love this because it's literally like the generosity of Jesus' life and his blood is seeping into the DNA of this church. And it's because the Holy Spirit is helping us to achieve this impossible generosity. So that's the second impossible characteristic. The last impossible characteristic of this community is that it had impossible influence. So look at verse 33. He says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. You know, there's something that's powerful about listening to somebody who has the ability to inspire you to action using their words. In the community of God, when we speak, we are literally speaking with the words of Jesus. We are speaking with the power of Jesus, and that has the ability to change and transform people's lives. And, you know, a lot of times we feel like the way that, you know, this speech is talking about is what's happening right now, where someone is preaching or someone is teaching, and that may be part of it, but more often it's, it's what Brandon described a couple of weeks ago, when you're in the grocery store or you're in a restaurant and you see somebody who is just visibly distressed and the Holy Spirit is just pounding on your heart telling you to go pray with that person. And so you walk up to them and you tell them, I don't know, I don't know your name, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that Jesus has told me that I need to pray with you. Or it's when you're at work and you're with a coworker and they're noticeably just needing some encouragement And so you walk up to them by the power of the Holy Spirit and you offer them words that you don't fully understand but really have an impact in their life. Or it's when you're with that family member that's just so hard to love. And you have the words of Jesus uh, in John chapter 13 where he's saying, love others as I have loved you. And so you take that first step of healing with that family member and you say, I love you because Jesus loved me first. And this kind of speech that is just saturated with the words of Jesus has the ability to transform people's lives and it has nothing to do 
with the fact that we are wonderful speakers, but it has everything to do with the fact that when we speak, we carry the name of Jesus, and Jesus has the ability to transform people's lives. And so I don't know about you, but this kind of a community that I read about in Acts chapter 4, this level of unity and generosity and influence, this impossible community is something that I desperately want to be a part of. But it's something that cannot be achieved on my own effort. It is not something that can be achieved on your effort alone. You know, I think so often we try to create this kind of a community without Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't work. Communities rise and they fall around us. This need in humanity to have relationship and community, people are pressing into that and they're forming communities all the time and they're rising and falling all around us. People are reaching for the impossible. But what they're, but what they're met with is just a temporary community that feels a temporary need in the moment. It's kind of like what I experienced in the airport in Chicago. That was a wonderful experience. That community was so much fun for those two hours. And it filled a need for those two hours. But that community was made by man. It was human made. And when a community is human made, then it is built around me or you. And that's destined to fail. But when a community is built by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the impossibilities that we read about in the scripture become reality for us because the Holy Spirit is the one that is doing the work and he is centering it not upon you and me, but he is centering it on the person of Jesus Christ. And that kind of a community will last. And that kind of community will be used to reach people in all time. And all pe people from all time will have this intersection where they will meet Jesus because of this community here. And yet, if you read on in Acts chapter 5, this community wasn't fully accepted you know, the, the community of Jesus is spreading like wildfire among the cities. And the religious rulers are so disturbed by what is taking place that they call Peter and John together. And they say, listen, we didn't like this kind of teaching when, when Jesus was here. And so we killed him thinking that it would stop. But here it is, it's continuing to spread, and I'm here to tell you that if you do not stop this kind of preaching, then we are going to kill you as well. And I want you to read Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 1 through 5 this week. I want you to read this story again. But specifically, look at Acts chapter 5 because there's this moment when one of the rulers from among the, the religious rulers in the city, they rise up and they're saying, listen, we gotta, we gotta talk about this for a second. We can't kill these people for creating this kind of community. You're acting like a community like this has never been formed ever before. We're acting like this has never happened. And so Gamaliel, he looks at the other rulers and he's saying, don't you remember the guy named Thetis? Thetis was a guy who thought he was somebody. 
And he formed this community around him, but with Thetis died, his followers were scattered. Don't you remember Judas? Judas was leading a revolt and thousands of people were coming to his aid. But when Judas was killed, then his followers were scattered. And he says, these were man-made, human-made communities, human-made, they were driven by humanity and they will fail. So if their purpose and if their activity is of human origin, if this new movement of Jesus is of human origin, then it will fail. But this is the part that I love because he looks at them and he says, but if this movement is of God, if their activity and if their purpose are of God, then there is nothing in heaven and there is nothing on earth that will stop this movement from gaining speed and momentum to be spread around the world. And 2,000 years later, we're sitting in this room and millions of people around the world are worshiping Jesus as King and Lord And we are the evidence of the truth of what Gamaliel was saying. We are the evidence that Jesus was telling the truth in John chapter 14 and in Acts chapter 1, that when the Holy Spirit would come, great things would be accomplished and people throughout all time would have this intersection in their life where they were going to meet Jesus. We are that evidence. We are the evidence that a community that is formed by God will not and does not fail. Does not fail. And so I've been asking myself, how do I get this? How do I get this level of community? If you look back through Acts chapter one through four, and you read it and mark down all the times that you see that the people of God, they joined together and they prayed. Because I think what you're gonna find is that they prayed so much. They pressed into Jesus so much because Jesus was the one that was forming this community. Jesus had just left and the spirit hadn't come yet and so the only thing that they knew to do was to press into Jesus. And so time after time in the first four chapters of Acts, the people are coming together and they are praying. They are pressing into Jesus. And I go, how do we get this community? How do we achieve the impossible? By pressing into one another and by coming before Jesus and saying, Jesus, we want more of you. We want more of you. And so as we're closing, in a few minutes, We're going to take communion together. And I want you to be asking yourself, maybe in community or by yourself, but I want you to be asking, do I want more of Jesus? Do we want more of Jesus? Is the impossible community forming around me or am I trying to go it alone? Do we want more of Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who is going to make the impossible possible through us. We're going to pray. And if you need to respond, there's going to be people at the respond banner. You can pray with them. There's communion on the bars or on the table in the middles. And take communion and gather together and form a community and then talk about whether or not we are wanting more of Jesus. 
Let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to keep on worshiping. God in heaven, I thank you so much for the reminder.